morning, guys, and welcome. Uh, if this is your first time here, my name is Josh, uh, and I'm the pastor here. Um, this is Omid. He is our fabulous worship leader. Can we give it up for Omid and the band this morning? Um, it's so good. Uh, well, we're going to start a brand new series, but it's going to be a short one, because uh, basically what we like to do at this church is we have two sort of tiers of leadership. So we have a board that kind of oversees at like a 3,000-foot level, uh, makes executive decisions, and then we have a strategy team. Excuse me, a strategy team. I got choked up over the strategy team. <laughs> strategy team uh, that is sort of like the rudder of the ship. So it, they're making decisions, like on-the-ground stuff. Uh, and so what we like to do is we like to gather as a strategy team and kind of discuss what we want to discuss in church. Uh, and that's the way we kind of keep our ear to the ground and like really have stuff that's relevant for you guys. Uh, and we didn't get a chance to do this before this new sermon series. So I picked a real short, we're going to do like a four-week series um, on something I think is going to be very relevant for us. Uh, but after that, that's when the strategy team will come in and we'll, and we'll pick a longer series that will hopefully take us into the summer. Um, so what I want to call this series uh, is Go and Stay. Go and Stay. Uh, because I think the fundamental, at the, at, at the core of every choice or every decision that you have to make in life, which we have to make a ton of them, there are two words, and that is go and that is stay. And sometimes we're called to go, and that's very scary, and sometimes we're called to stay, which is equally as scary in different ways. So I think go and stay are actually different names for the same kind of feeling. Um, feeling like it's, the unknown is on both sides, even if you are staying or even if you are going. So I want to talk about what it means to make decisions. And so we're going to talk, next week we're going to talk a big, big uh, thing on Jonah. Um, that's always a fun story to do as we get to deconstruct what that fish means and everything. Uh, and then the following week uh, we're going to talk about Ruth uh, and what it meant for her to completely shift her family line and who she was. Uh, we're going to be studying stories in scripture of people in real situations that either had to go or had to stay and how God helped them make those choices. Because uh, the true thing, and what we're going to talk about today, is that really at the core of a choice is not a decision. You make decisions all the time, right? You can make decisions, and decisions actually mess us up. Like, they tire us out. It's brain stuff. Like, your brain actually uses calories as you are making decisions, and you get tired at the end of the day if you've had a huge day of, oh, I've got to choose this, I've got to choose that, I've got to choose this. This is why, uh, like, high-up tech people like Steve Jobs or whatever will just have one outfit. There's one less choice that they have to deal with so that their brain is functioning on a higher capacity during the day rather than figuring out what jeans I'm going to wear this morning, right? Their choices can literally, like, bury us in terms of stress and everything like that. I, I find myself pretty good at decision-making. Um, I pride myself on that. Uh, so, like, if we're in a car and everyone's like, where should we go to eat? I'll try my best to throw out a concrete suggestion because so often if you leave that, it could be, you could be in that car for an hour going, like, I don't know, what do I do? Do you feel like Italian? What do you feel like this? Um, but if I throw out something concrete, then it helps the decision get made. And I'm that way in most arenas of my life except for one. Uh, when Chelsea is out of town, Chelsea does not eat meat. Um, I still love meat, but I don't really eat meat as much because I'm married to her and we like to cook the same thing. So when she's out of town, I go steak crazy. And so I, my whole goal is what can I cram into this one night, like food-wise, that I won't get for like another, you know, three weeks, four weeks, whatever it is. Uh, and so, but and I wake up with such high hopes. I'm literally thinking about dinner in the morning, and I'm going like, what am I going to do? Where am I going to go? What am I going to make? Should I make something? Should I cook something? And then my dog's there, and I'm like, maybe we'll both have steak. It'll be glorious. I did that once. Total blowout scenario. Like, don't give your dog a steak. Anyway, um, 
so I, I, I'm thinking, but the problem is throughout the day, I get overly excited about it, and too many options are presented to me. So I, I begin to go through Yelp, and I'm like, what's close by? What could I possibly walk to? And there's way too many options where we live, so I'm like, oh man, well, I don't know what you do. And so this is a running joke, but almost every time without fail, Chelsea will be like, what'd you eat for dinner? And I'll go, I just, I ended up going to Benny's and getting a burrito bowl. That, that happens almost every time. And it's a sign of defeat for me, but it's the closest thing to our apartment. So I like can't choose, can't choose. And before I know it, it's like 8.30 at night. And I'm like, I guess I'm raising the white flag and headed to Benny's. And I'll have a burrito bowl. It's not bad. It's just like, it's not, it's not what it could have been. I had grand ideas and grand hopes. But the problem is, it's decision making, right? When we get something that we're so focused on, especially if it's something important, like not, not a burrito bowl or dinner or anything like that, but something that is really, truly vitally important in our lives, we tend to want to over-decide and over-choose and over, 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 over. And the only weapon against that uh, is not more decision-making. It's not clearer decision-making. It's not learning how to make better decisions. It's a different word entirely. And I think it is actually the path that Jesus wanted us to be on. And that's not decision-making, but discernment. So discernment is different than decision-making because there's a whole lot more that goes into it. Discernment is the belief for the Christian person that God is talking all the time. And so we need to build in practices and we need to build in the moments that we can pay attention to kind of wake up to what God is doing around us and in this space. That's discernment, that there's no shortage of wisdom if we choose to actually lean into that and not just try and make decisions, make decisions, make decisions. Right? There are rational brain choices that like, you have to do every day. I've got to take a left here or a right here. I've got to make that decision. But then there are also decisions, especially if you want to be a follower of Jesus and actually act this stuff out. Other decisions require empathy, and they're decisions of the heart. How do I help this person? How do I hold this person in this right now? What do I do in this scenario? Those are, those are far deeper questions. And especially, and I think in the Christian world, we throw out these terms all the time, we'll talk about things like God's will and God's plan. And that's really helpful language, and they're, and they're kind of really neat structures. Um, but the problem is, if someone's going through a crisis, and I'm telling you this as like your, your, your Christian friend, uh, if someone is going through a crisis, one of the least helpful things you can do is come up to them and say, you know, just God's got a plan. God's got this. It's going to be fine. Don't worry about it. God's got a plan. Because in the crisis moment, you're like, it sure does not feel like that plan is anything real. Uh, and and you, you, you oversimplify what that sentence says is, God has a plan, so I, I'm going to step out, and I don't really have to deal with this, right? Like, I, God's got it over here, so don't worry. Like, God's got the plan. That, that leaves you out of the equation. Like, a lot of times, God is actually going like, yes, I have a plan, and it's you. <laughs> You're standing in this situation. I put you here, so what are you going to do about it? What are you going to do about it? And that's where discernment um, comes in. That's where when we find ourselves at a crossroads, which we're going to find ourselves in so many times in life. A couple weeks ago, we talked about these as threshold moments, these moments that you're going to have to make a decision or a choice that could affect your life. That once you step through this, your life is going to look drastically, drastically different. And when we find ourselves at those crossroad moments, we have to check ourselves and go like, how can I discern the right way to go? How do I actually choose which one is right? What does it mean to go on the right way or the wrong way? And to do that, we have to learn how to discern. Um, and doing that requires a thing called alternate wisdom. Now, 
there are different tiers of wisdom in my mind. There's wisdom, there's conventional wisdom, which conventional wisdom is super fun. Conventional wisdom is like uh, you've seen someone do this a thousand times before, so you can learn from them, and then you can get whatever that is done, or you can move to that next level in your life, or whatever it is. You're, you're following someone's footsteps, you're watching them, you're getting advice, you're following advice. It's, it's sort of the classic path, right? Conventional wisdom says, hey, you need to build up security, you need to do all these things. It's great. It's really good stuff. But discernment is not just about uh, conventional wisdom. It's not just about listening to what other people have to say into your life, because no, no one has lived your life except for you. So that's, that's the crazy part. Everyone, it requires a measure of courage for every single person in this room to make decisions and to make choices, because you're going to have to make choices that people actually can't make for you, that people can't speak and give you advice and easily solve that. There's going to be something deeper that you have to decide for yourself. St. Francis is like the best at this. He lived this life in which when the Franciscan order still exists today. It's enormous. He, just, he was this magnetic figure that people wanted to be around, and they would be around him so much that they would actually want to give up everything and just go live with St. Francis and just watch him, watch his rhythms. But he would remind his people all the time. They'd be like, how did you get this? Why, who did you talk to? Who are your teachers? That would be the American equivalent of saying, like, who are you reading right now? What books are you reading? What, what, what podcasts are you listening to, right? Where are you getting this stuff from? And Francis would always remind them that no one ever told me what to do. No one ever told me what to do. And then at the end of his life, he said this, and I think this is one of the greatest quotes. He's talking to his, his, uh, his students, and he says, I have done what's mine. Now may Christ teach you what's yours. May Christ teach you what's yours. I think we really, really lean in, and we should. There are wise people, and there's wisdom to be gained from others and other stories and other, other, other narratives. Uh, but the truth is, like, you're the only person that's going to live out your narrative. So that's his prayer for us, is, is may Christ reveal to you what that is. And what I think for Francis that was, was a deep connection and relationship to the divine in a way that he would contemplate and he would pray and he would build these rhythms into his life. And because of that, he was discerning things rather than deciding things. And because of that, his life looked awfully attractive to those around him because he took the time to listen to God. Not just to speak, but to listen. If you look at Franciscan theology or any of the Franciscan tradition, all it keeps, keeps coming back to is solitude, prayer, solitude, prayer, contemplation, right? It's, it's sitting with things longer than most people do. I think there's an Albert Einstein quote where he says, I'm not just smarter than anyone, I just stick with problems longer, <laughs> right? So it, it, the, the Franciscan way of doing things was to center the self and then make decisions from that point, make decisions from right there rather than the panic or the scramble or the mad scrambler, whatever it is. I, a couple of years back, um, about three years ago, it was, it was right uh, on the threshold of my life. We, we had started Resonate and, uh, and things just, they weren't going as planned. And so my dad and I had actually both started looking for other positions because we kind of saw the writing on the wall. And, um, and we talked and uh, my dad got a job and I got a job actually. And it was at a church in Newberry Park. Um, which you've been to Newberry Park, like it was a real like, okay, I'll take this job. Anyway, it, it was in Newberry Park, and uh, and the night before I was supposed to go and have a final meeting um, with the pastor, and we were gonna like sign contracts and do all this stuff. Uh, I, I could not sleep at all. 
Um, and it wasn't some divine, like, God was waking me up and he just wanted to hold me and guide me through. I was freaking out about the fact that I might not be able to get, like, craft breweries or, or anything like that in, in, a, in a suburban environment. I was like, where am I going to get my coffee? What am I going to do in the morning? Where am I going to get breakfast? Like, I, I, I'm going to have to go to Target. I'm going to have to hop in a car. Like, all this stuff. Uh, and I was thinking, and I was like, I don't think I'm built for this. I don't think I'm wired for this. How am I going to do this? And it was out of pure panic, but I realized in that night, that sort of deep night of the soul when I'm thinking about coffee and common grounds and stuff, I, what, what, I, what I was really trying to get at, and what I really realized was I'm panicking right now because I truly made this decision out of panic. We were scrambling for a job, and so the first one that came along, we were like, yes, just say yes, we've got to do it. Because we were panicked, we were stressed. We were stressed about financial stuff, we were stressed about life stuff. Everything was stressful around us, so we were like, there's the key, there's the golden ticket. Just take it, everything's gonna be fine, we'll work it out. And in that night of panic, I had to really psych myself up because I was gonna go to that meeting and I was gonna have to tell that pastor, there's nothing else on the table for us, by the way. We have no idea what's gonna happen with Resonate, we have no idea what's going on. I was gonna have to tell that pastor, hey, I just don't, I just don't think I'm doing this because I just don't think God is actually leading me into this. Um, I'm panicked about it, and I don't think that that's what God really operates in. <laughs> um, and so I was like psyching myself out, kind of like, you know, if you're like a teenager and you're gonna break up with someone and you're like, or you're gonna get broken up, I don't think you're contemplating getting broken up with, but if you have to break up with someone and you're like, okay, I'm just gonna have this conversation, I'm gonna practice it out, everything's gonna be fine. Whew, pump yourself up, let's do this. Uh, I'm literally, I'm on a run before I was gonna take a shower and then hop in the car and go to this place. And as I'm running, about three blocks into my run, uh, my phone calls and it's that pastor. And I'm like, in the gut feeling like, oh crap, do I have to do it now? Like, what, what am I gonna do? And I, I, I talked to him and he said, hey Josh, I have some really bad news. And I was like, oh, <laughs> what's that? <laughs> and he goes, well, I, I talked to the board and it turns out we don't actually have the financial means to offer you this position. And I kind of just had a moment where I was like, that's, that's okay. <laughs> like, I, I'll be, I'm going to be fine. Don't worry about it. Uh, and I hung up the phone, and I had this profound sense of relief. Now, it's still a crossroads moment. I don't know what I'm going to do. Chelsea and I don't know where we're going to be. But, but there was a profound like, just peace over me because I realized I was, I was coming back onto the path that God wanted me to be on. I was back in the flow of the river rather than trying to turn around and fight my way through, right? I was learning how to just, just be with God and trust where he was going to go. And that, that all turned into this beautiful place called Resonate, and we're here, and that's, that's so incredible. But in that moment, you don't know that, right? Discernment is about, again, believing that God is working everywhere and speaking everywhere, but just learning those practices and leaning into listening to him, and I think the way that God got my attention was a panicked night of the soul over coffee, right? That he can use anything and everything, because God is constantly trying to get our attention. He's constantly trying to say, like, hey, come back to me, discern with me, let me help you with these problems. Sometimes we carry these problems and we think we're the ones, I'm gonna champion this, I'm gonna get it done, and God's just kinda sitting on the sideline like, what are you, what are you doing, buddy? <laughs> Like you don't have to carry that by yourself. We can work through this together. And, and another thing, because we can go too far on the pendulum that way, uh, it's, it's not always the case that God just wants to snap his fingers and say, la-di-da, everything's good. Part of the journey is actually working this stuff through co-team members with God, not just like God fixing it for you. But God's work in you is going to be that, like, oh, if I can work with God through this, I will ultimately be better for it. 
And that's what discernment is. Discernment is sitting with a problem longer than you're really supposed to and letting God kind of guide you and take you there. Um, Henry Nouwen, just this just brilliant uh, mind. I've, I've done Franciscans, Henry Nouwen, Richard Burrow will probably pop up later. We're just, we're, we're pure Catholic this morning. Um, uh, he has this beautiful quote where, about Christian discernment. This comes from his book called Discernment, but it says, Christian discernment is not the same as decision-making. Reaching a decision can be straightforward. We consider our goals and options. Maybe we list the pros and cons of each possible choice, and then we choose the action that meets our goal most effectively. Discernment, on the other hand, is about listening and responding to that place within us where our deepest desires align with God's desire. As discerning people, we, uh, we sift through our impulses, motives, and options. Notice those, those three words, our impulses, motives, and options. I think all too often in Christianity, we choose to ignore what the body is doing. Uh, but your body can tell a story to you faster than your brain can if you really learn to listen. Our impulses, our, our gut reaction, how's my stomach feeling, what's my heart rate, am I sweating right now? All of that stuff is important. Um, so motives and options uh, to discover which ones lead us closer to divine love and compassion for ourselves and other people and which ones lead us further away. This is where it gets really good. Discernment reveals new priorities, directions, and gifts from God. New priorities. So this is problem solving on a new plane, right? It's using news, it's believing that God, you are a new creation and so God can do new things through you. It's not just the conventional wisdom. It's not just like, oh, my parents said I should go on this path and do this, so I'm gonna do that. No, it's deeper, it's a new priority. The key word there is there's a newness to it all when we discern. Um, Sorry, I lost my place there. New priorities, directions, and gifts from God. We come to realize that what previously seemed so important for our lives loses its power over us. Our desire to become successful, well-liked, and influential becomes increasingly less important as we move closer to God's heart. I could just, like, leave now. That, that's such a good quote, and it's so good to hear someone with such wisdom tell you, hey, in discernment in the wisdom tradition, and this is from a person who is just inherently wise, saying like wisdom is an is a, is a individual journey in a collective mind. Right? It, it's saying like you are going to be on your own path, but you're walking along with others, and God really needs you and wants you right where you are. God really needs you and wants you and can use you. You are called to create new priorities, new ideas. And that newness is only going to come from you. And then that someone else is going to have newness that's only going to come from them. And collectively, that makes everything a better place. I'm going to butcher the, the name of this, but it's a Hebrew concept. Uh, it's called tikkum olam. And basically what it means is to repair the world. Uh, it's a Jewish belief that, that we are called as human beings to repair just a little bit more of the world every day. And when we do that, we begin to see God in bigger and grander ways and in more areas of life. See, that's what can, the discernment idea can do for us. It can create new possibilities so that we can solve new problems, so that we can bring more of heaven down here. That's the your kingdom come, thy will be done, all of that good stuff. That's bringing more of that heavenly presence into our daily uh, rhythms and lives. I think that there is a perfect way, uh, out of scripture, if you're struggling with a decision in your life, or you're struggling with a choice, I would really ask you to read Jeremiah 6.16, uh, and it says this. And so here, here's the fun part about Jeremiah 6. 
There's that really famous bumper sticker verse in Jeremiah 4, I know the plans I have for you. Um, those plans are for Jeremiah. <laughs> and we all take them like, they're plans for me. And you're like, no, in the context of the book, he's just talking to Jeremiah. But it's great. It's a lovely thought. Um, so uh, this is God talking to Jeremiah. But understand that if you read that scripture, if you read that book, Jeremiah is struggling with his identity from the very beginning of the book and trying to discern, trying to figure out the path that God wants him to take. In the beginning, he says, I'm too young, and God has to like, correct him and say, like, nope, no, you're not, right? And we can do that with everything in our lives. I'm too old. No, you're not. <laughs> I'm too young. No, you're not. And he course corrects him, and, and this is the tool that he gives Jeremiah to say, like, hey, here's how I want you to discern things in your life. Uh, and this is what the Lord says. Stand at the crossroads and look. Ask for the ancient paths. Ask where the good way is and walk in it, and you will find rest for your soul. So let's break this down a little bit because that's really nice and, and flowery and pretty, but uh, there's some powerful, powerful tools in here. Um, I've broken it down. So first of all, what's our, our command? Our command is to just stand at the crossroads and look. A lot of times we're either crouching at the crossroads, we're ready to fight the crossroads, <laughs> or, or we're freaking out at the crossroads. God's call is to simply see the crossroads and stand in it and look at it. Stand and look. There's no measure of panic in this sentence. It is simply to be grounded. I'm here. I'm going to take a good look around. And then this is where Jesus leans on, or I'm sorry, God, it's all the same, um, on, on conventional <laughs> wisdom rather than alternative wisdom. And the first ask here is conventional. It says, uh, ask for the ancient paths, which basically means like, who's come before you? Ask, ask what you've already been able to see, what you can study, what you can look up, what you can Google, whatever it might be. Ask for the ancient past. Ask what's worked well before this for any problem you might have to stay or to go, any relationship you might. This could work in any kind of way of life. Just stand, look, and then ask the conventional question. That's going to that person you always text for advice or call. That's, that's your, your first ask. And he follows it up and he says, but you can't stop there. So you can't just stand and look and just ask for conventional wisdom. You have to take it a step further. You need some of that alternative good stuff in there. And so he says, uh, ask for the ancient past. And then he follows up with another ask. Ask where the good way is and then walk in it. Where the good way is. I love that word good because that could mean so many different things to each and every one of us. What is good, right? For some people, watching football is good. For me, I don't know what it is, <laughs> right? Good, good is discernible, and it, it flows. It depends on, on your soul and your heart, and God really cares about what's good for you. And so you're, we're going from just asking, hey, what should I do about this from the people in our lives to actually figuring out, hey, wait, what's, what's really good? What's really, really good? And that's a question that I have to answer for myself, and that's a question that I have to have God answer for me, is what is good? What does good look like? When we first started Resonate, we, we planted a church in Ecuador as well as here. Uh, and when we went down to Ecuador, I didn't get, I didn't get to go. I was, didn't make the cut. Anyway, uh, we went down to Ecuador. Uh, my dad came back and he said, you know what the greatest part about that was? Was that when you build a, a church in these, in these places, in these places that, that need so much, um, a church is a center for healthcare there, it's a school, it provides medical assistance, it's, it's also a church, they provide education for, for adults, they provide Christian education, they provide Bible education. 
it, what he said was like, it's actually good news to that community, right? When so often, you know, new church plants, it's like, it's, it's a Coldplay cover band and a TED Talk. Like, that's not necessarily as good news as meeting the direct needs of the community. Because those were the needs that needed to be met. And so when they, when they started this church, they looked around and said, what are the needs of this community? Let's have the church meet those needs. What a refreshing thing for 2019, right? Um, so anyway, that was a little church rant. But... Um, they looked around and they said, what's good here? What's good? I think it, for us collectively as a church, constantly looking around, that's why we do the strategy team thing and we try and think through exactly what we need to talk about. But other than that, just in your individual life, I think that's a constant prayer or mantra that you could be doing on a daily basis. What's good look like for me? What does good look like? What is good? And that could be an ultimate goal. That could be what's good right now. That could be that Benny's bowl. It doesn't matter. What's good for me? So he goes from what's good, and then here's the most important part, and walk in it. So we've asked. We've asked again. Or sorry, we've we've stood. We've looked. We've asked. We've asked again. And now we're going to walk in it. We're going to take that first step into something, and that's the same for go and stay. And that's very, very important. That's the same for if you're called to go somewhere, which is the same in like a relationship or in a career or in a job. And you put, put a blank, put in your thing right there. But it's the same. When you stay, you actually have to do the hard work of taking that right foot or left foot and taking the first step into creating what's good around you and actually owning that and going, hey, I am called to stay here. And I'm, I'm in a stay mode. I've been in a stay, but that was the whole thing with Kineha. We came and then the board came to me and said like, hey, we've got like no money and it's super risky. You want to do this? And I was like, I guess, yeah, let's go. <laughs> but it was a stay, right? It wasn't this brand new fun. It was just, it was, no, I want you. I got you here. I got you here. And I'm so proud of what you're doing. I love you and I got you here. Right? So the, the basic premise here is that we need to stand, we need to ask, we need to ask again, and then we need to walk. So if you're taking notes, that's, that's stand, ask, ask again, walk. And without each of these steps, this thing falls apart, right? With all of the contemplation and the asking and figuring out what's good, but there's no walking, you're just going to sit with that problem for even longer and if we just walk, if we just go, and we've done none of the discernment, you're going to find yourself in a very panicked place pretty quickly. So we need each of these steps to discern what God's will or plan is. And that makes that whole God's will and plan thing much, much easier because we're taking the time to actually listen to God, to actually say, like, oh, this is what I'm called to. I, there's a perfect example of this. There's the, our expert in discernment in the Old Testament is a guy named Abraham, uh, who starts off as Abram. Uh, but we don't know anything about Abram before he shows up other than his family line. So they just give this big genealogy in Genesis, and then when we get to this guy, Abram, it's the first story of him is God says, hey, Abram, get up and go. And then the next line is literally like, so Abraham went. Like, and, and it makes no, like, the, it's, it's driven biblical scholars crazy for years. Like, why would he just say yes and go right away? What does he know about this God? How does he know this God's voice? How does he do this? But for him, for Abraham, he just goes and he went. And the answer to that is he's, he's about 75 years old at this point. So the guy's seen some things. He's lived life. 
When we get to that point, I think the discernment thing is a whole lot more clear because we've lived through the trials and the tribulations and stuff. So Abram is, is acutely aware of God's voice and he's acutely good at listening to it. And that's the very first thing that we see. And we see that he walks, right? So he listens, he hears, and he walks and he goes. And it ends up being a huge, crazy story. Like it's not just a straight away you get to your like promised land thing and everything's fine. Things take these weird turns. He like gives his wife away and calls her his sister. It's very Game of Thrones-esque. It, it's all happening in this Abraham story. But the point is, uh, we get to a point where Abraham is kind of, or Abram still at this point is is kind of growing. His tribe is growing. Things are going really, really well. Like he's gone to a couple different places and his his herds are growing. He's got hired hands coming on. His family is growing, and it grows to the point where it's huge. He took his nephew Lot when they went initially, and Lot's community is now growing, and everything's growing, and they're walking and they're moving throughout like in sort of a nomadic way together. But they're realizing, hey. This is getting to the point where it's just way too big. Like, your side is beginning to argue with my side. And in this story, Abram and Lot never actually have a confrontation. It's between their herders. So a lot of times, like, like people will preach on this and they'll say, like, well, they got an argument. No, the, hoarder, the herders got in an argument. Uh, but it trickled up to the leadership and they were like, okay, we need to make a decision here. So they meet, uh, and this is where our story picks up. Um, we have that scripture there. Uh, so Abram said to Lot, let's not have any quarreling between you and me or between your herders and mine, uh, for we are close relatives. So this is a rational conversation between two close relatives. Um, we're close relatives. Is not the whole land before you. Let's part company. If you go to the left, I'll go to the right. If you go to the right, I'll go to the left. So this is Abram giving Lot the reins, saying you can pick wherever you want to go. It's a huge blessing. It's like it's just saying, like, hey, you can have the, the choicest pick here. If you go right, I'm going to go left. If you go left, I'm going to go right. I'll, go, I'll do the opposite of you so that we can get as far away from each other as we can so we can avoid conflict. Uh, so pretty healthy right off the bat. And then they said, Lot looked around and saw the whole plain of the Jordan towards Zar uh, was well watered, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt. This is before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot chose for himself the whole plain of the Jordan and set out toward the east. So let's just pause right there for a second. The east is actually, it seems like a throwaway line, like he just heads in that direction. But why does this story give us a direction? He said right or left. Why now do we get east? What's important about east? Why does east come up in this story? Well, conventional wisdom in that day, east was the center of, of everything God was doing. East was forward, because that's where the sun rises from. So east was the direction that you would go for new things that God was doing. If you looked at a map in ancient times, it would not have north at the front of its compass. It would have east. So east and west were front and back, and then north and south were left and right. And so Lot, using conventional wisdom and knowing that, hey, that's where, that's in, in their tradition, that's where the Garden of Eden is. That's where like a land flowing with milk and honey is. That's the good stuff. That's the way to go. And I've been taught that since I was a little kid. So you know what? I don't even need to take a second. I'm not going right or left. I'm going east. Right? I'm going to go to the best place I can possibly go, the best place I've been told about. And he doesn't take any time to like kind of sit and mull this over or anything like that. He just goes to the east. And he sets off and he goes because that's what conventional wisdom tells us to do. This is the life path. This is get good grades, go school, get a good job, 
get a 401k, get a white picket fence, do all this stuff. It's not bad stuff. Lot is not making a bad decision. He's making a really rational, awesome choice for him and his people. By all standards and definitions, he's doing the right thing. And so he doesn't even have to think about it. He just goes. But then, look at the difference between Abram and Lot. And this is where that Jeremiah verse comes in. Look how Abram uses this kind of wisdom. Um, the Lord said to Abram after Lot had parted from him, Look around from where you are, from the north and the south to the east and the west. So God's saying, hey, you said right or left. And then Lot said east. Now, I want you to go at the crossroads, stand and look, and look in every direction. Truly understand. Look, get your bearings for every direction. Not just right or left. Not just conventional wisdom. But look around in every direction. Um, for the land you will see, uh, I will give to you and your offspring forever. I will make you an offspring like the dust of the earth so that anyone could count the dust. Then your offspring could be counted. Go walk through the length and the breadth of the land that I am giving to you. Basically, because he stops and he listens, he's able to look at and take it all in, not just one or two directions, but all of it in. And then God says, okay, now you're ready to walk. Go walk in it. I'm giving all of this to you. You see how that wisdom is used there? It's listening. He takes the time to actually listen, not just act on what everyone had told him to do. He says, okay, well, there might be more options than just the conventional standard way of doing things. Maybe there's a new way of doing things. And that's what discernment kind of teaches us uh, to do. I, I, on Friday morning, found myself uh, in the Bagel Nosh, which is my office, um, and I was sitting in Bagel Nosh, and, uh, and I had, so the night before, well, let's back up. I, I am an enormous Marvel fan, uh, like just like fanboy level to 12. Um, it, it actually is kind of an emotional thing. I, I went to go see, I had a whole other crazy story where I, I'd made the wrong choice and I'd moved into the wrong place. Uh, and when I got to this place, I was like 21, had loaded all the stuff in my van uh, and driven down uh, and found out that it was like, a, it was basically like a, maybe like a halfway house or something. I mean, there was like a field of bunk beds uh, that was there and they're like, your bunk's over there. And I was like, oh boy, there are pigs in the backyard. The people were very weird. Anyway, uh, I got there and I panicked and I was like, I need refuge. So I, I looked up what movies were playing and Iron Man was playing. So I went and I saw the first Iron Man and it was the only bit of peace I had. So I think emotionally somewhere down deep in me, whenever I see Tony Stark, I'm like, oh, I, just, I feel good, right? So, so I got emotionally connected to these movies, and so I've watched them all, I've watched them all, and I have been just like, just so excited uh, for April 26th. April 26th is when Avengers Endgame is going to come out, and boy, that, that date has been engraved in my mind. Uh, but it turns out I did not engrave that date in any sort of calendar or in my wife's mind. Uh, so she said, hey, I got you a surprise. It's for your birthday, which is like next week. Uh, and I was like, oh, that's so nice. When is it? She's like, it's April 26th. And I was like, hard no, hard pass. <laughs> but she had already booked it. So I went like, oh, I guess I'm not going to see Avengers the day it comes out, which is my dream. Uh, so I'll give up my dream. Uh, but anyway, I, I, then we go to coffee that night, and the barista's just like chatting. He's like, oh, yeah, man, I'm, I'm seeing it. I'm seeing it midnight tonight. Like, it's Thursday. And I'm like, yeah, dude, thanks for rubbing it in. And he's like, yeah, I got seven tickets for my family. Tickets are sold out for, like, weeks. You guys are never going to get tickets for, like, a week. And it's just, just crushing my soul. So uh, then we get to I get to Bagel Nash in the morning. And on the news is a news story. I haven't watched the news in, like, 10 years, but they play it in Bagel Nash. So, like, uh, there's a news story, and it's about 
Endgame, and they're saying that like they've never seen tickets soar like this. You can't get tickets for weeks in advance, and people are selling tickets on eBay for thousands of dollars. All of this is making me want to cry in my bagel. So I'm looking up, and then I figure out, like, I'm like, ah, oh, man, is it, are they really true? And I look up, I open Fandango on my phone, uh, and I see it, and I'm like, yeah, dude, this thing is sold out. But then I realize I'm a pastor. <laughs> I have flexible work hours. <laughs> And I wasn't checking the mornings. <laughs> so I checked uh, for Friday morning, uh, and sure enough, two, two screenings came up. One for 9.15, but it was 9.06 as I was in that bagel shop, and I was like, I'm not going to make the 9.15. And then one was for 10.15, but at first when I clicked on it, it was sold out. But then two minutes later, out of, you know, like discernment, I clicked further <laughs> to see if like maybe a seat had popped up, and sure enough, I got this. Do we have it, David? Um, I, I got in, right? And then I clicked on, okay, so here's the other confirmation here. Here's where the discernment comes in. Uh, I, Chelsea and I have been trying to save money, and so I was like, ah, I don't want to like go, I'm already the, the bagel nosh, this, this is a spendy day. I don't want to like go and spend like a bunch of money. And then I looked at the price because it's in the morning and it was 7.49. I was like, book this now. So I click on it uh, and then I get this. Uh, and this is the, how many seats are left. Um, this is 10.15 in the morning in Los Angeles. Only in Los Angeles would a movie like book up like this because people just have nothing to do. Anyway, um, the book's up. I see this seat right here and I'm like, perfect. It's, it's in the back. I'm going to book that. So I click next and I book. Uh, and then I, I put my phone back because I'm like, okay, I've only got an hour and I have to run home to like six blocks, then I've got to walk the dog because this movie's like three hours long and if I don't walk the dog, he's gonna poop on our carpet. So I go and I walk the dog and, uh, and upon walking the dog, I realized, wait, did I ever click confirm on the ticket? And I looked and I had not clicked confirm and I thought by the gods of technology, like if I click this button right now, please let this go through. I click it and it said, sorry, that's no longer available. And I went, gosh. But not to be deterred, I opened up my app again and said, let's give this one last try. And sure enough, uh, there's this. Uh, but then I did, for whatever reason, I said I wanted seven tickets. I don't know how it did that, but it said to like select seven tickets. So I had to go back, and then I had to go back, and then I finally get it nailed down. Uh, and, and I'm going, and I'm, I'm, I'm walking the dog during this time, and, and we're getting down to the left. Like, I've got to drop this thing back off and get in the car and get to the movie theater because it's AMC, and there's like 30 minutes of previews, but I'm not going to miss any of them because they're going to be awesome Star Wars previews. So anyway, I, I, I'm getting blue, and then I just feel like, oh, oh there he goes. He's, he's going to the bathroom. He's, he's doing his thing. Um, but Baloo will do this thing uh, where he will, he will use the facilities, and then, you know, we have to clean up after him. And so I go to clean up after him, and there's nothing there. And I go, oh, no. Because when this happens, it means it's, it's basically, there's no other way to say this. It's stuck in his butt. So I, I had to look down, and I go, oh, my gosh. Well, the only answer to this is that I'm going to have to, like, bathe him before I go. So, but then, this is the moment, guys, that I was like, hey, wait a minute. I think I've got a sermon here. <laughs> so I took a picture of my watch the minute Baloo uh, pooped on the ground. 9.43, I have 10.15, so I'm like, I'm gonna build this out as a story, right? So 9.43, I have to take him home. I have to bathe him solo. Usually bathing our dog is a two-person experience in which someone has to hold him down and the other one has to just douse him with water. I threw on swim trunks, I got in the bath with him, and I was wrestling him until we got out. We got out, I dried off, I get in the car, I go to the movie, and before we know it, we're there, and I got there right at 10.15 a.m. But the cool part about that story is not that I have the privilege just to go and see a movie on Friday morning. The cool part about that story uh, is that it, it required 
a, a deep amount of, of real deal uh, discernment to actually see if this was something that was going to be good for my life, right? Is this actually going to be beneficial for anyone uh, but me? Um, and, and what I thought was when putting myself in that panic mode and then realizing, oh my gosh, wait, I'm, this is a story I'm going to use. This is a story I really want to share. I realized I was having a good episode. <laughs> like, uh, th uh, Pete Holmes, a comedian that I love, has this bit where he says at the end of every day, I kind of look back and I go like, oh, that was a good episode. Or that, that wasn't really a good episode. And he says the good episodes are the days I look back on and something twisty happened, like some plot twist happened. Some drastic thing happened. Because if we're honest, then the stories that we love and the stories we want to consume, the best episodes are the ones that just blow your mind. They're just like, wow, that's dark. Or wow, that's beautiful. That's a good episode. And we don't have to use this in sermons. Just think of your story, your life. Looking back on every day going like, was that a good episode? Did I actually, did I actually show up? Did I use what God was giving me? Was it a good episode? Here's the thing uh, for discernment 101, um, and this is the truth. We all kind of look at God's will uh, like this, and this is a crude drawing, but welcome to resonate. Um, Bobby wasn't a painting this morning, so uh, this is a circle <laughs> with a dot in it. Uh, I think that we tend to look at life um, like this circle, right? Uh, so just go with me on this because I know it's a crude drawing. But uh, it's a circle, and then we tend to think of God's will as just this little dot, right? So we've got this whole big life, but God's will is this. And we need to constantly find that one thing. But guys, nowhere in Scripture does it say that. Does it say that there's one single trajectory for your life? No, I think God's will looks a whole lot more like this, which also resembles a crude pepperoni pizza. But I think that it looks more like this. Like you have a life and there are endless amounts of decisions and choices. And guys, they're not going to be bad as long as you're listening. And here's the litmus test for everything I do in my life. If it's something that lights you up, move towards it. If it's something that you are passionate about, move towards it. But you always use this. Always use this. Is this going to help me love others and myself more deeply? Is this decision that I'm making going to help me love others and myself more deeply? When Jesus lays out the top commands, he says, hey, love your neighbor as yourself and love your God. So now we'll tack that onto it. Does this help me love people more deeply, myself more deeply, and God more deeply? And if I can answer yes to all those questions, I think I'm moving in the right direction. Let's pray together. Lord, I'm thankful that you give us uh, the freedom um, to choose different paths, to walk, uh, to walk and let us catch you, to walk and let us follow you. There's just endless amount of options. And I thank you for uh, your guiding love. Amen. So again, we're going to take communion this morning.